Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 49 of the podcast, the topic is lean manufacturing in the USA. Our guest is Carl Wardenstein, CEO of Vipco. In this conversation, we talk about how to create a company culture that fosters lean manufacturing practices, becoming a learning organization, and how to be an industry leader who always inspires your employees. Augmented is a podcast for industry leaders and operators, hosted by futurist Trun Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip, the frontline operations platform, and associated with MFG Works, the industrial upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Each episode dives deep into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry and airs at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time every Wednesday. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast, industrial conversations that matter. Carl, welcome. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's exciting. Let's talk about uh, building a very successful manufacturing business and sharing all of those lessons with others. And that in America, the the country that most people think is, uh, you know, it's difficult to to build these uh, lean practices, uh, especially in a high cost state on the East Coast. So I'm looking forward to learning what it is that uh, your secret is. And we're ready to talk about it today because it's a lot of perseverance and thank goodness for Toyota production systems and a lot of great people that have come to mentor us here through the years. So, it's Well, talk, talk, talk to me about that because you, you've been obviously working in, in this industry for a, a while. Yes. What got you involved in manufacturing? What made you made the choice to, to eventually then, uh, you know, lead a business in manufacturing? Well, I'd say something on camera, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I'm second generation, so I'm a lucky sperm. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that on camera? Yeah, that's fine. I think yeah. we'll, we, can we can survive. So second generation, that's not unusual, by the way, in, no. in manufacturing to be second generation. There's, there's great pride in that. Yeah. Actually, we have third generation working here now. Yeah. I have two, three boys and my daughter are working in the business as well. So manufacturing was in my blood from the onset of my life. I was around it with my dad, you know, my grandfather, my uncles, and all, all the people that I know were always into building and making things. And there's great, great um, um, satisfaction in building things and serving others. So you can serve others with products that you make, and you can serve others that we're going to talk about here, how I serve the people that work here to make Vibeco great. So manufacturing is all in my blood. Well, the other thing that's in your blood, it seems, uh, as I'm looking into your background, you're, you're actually, you predate my podcast by many years. You were a talk show radio host. Yeah, on ABC Radio Citadel for two years plus. We had uh, quite the talk show on AM five days a week. So you're doing podcasts how often? Once a week? Uh, this podcast once a week, and I have another podcast, so I yeah. guess it's twice a week. So I was off five days a week for a one-hour show, and we had over, and I was live for 200 or 500 and some odd days. So we had to come up with new guests every single day, and we met the best and the brightest around the world. It was the best experience I ever had. We had 45,000 listeners on AM dial globally and 2,200 podcast downloads a month. It was insane. 
That's that's crazy. Well, I think I know a little bit of what that feeling is. It is very exciting to get the yes. chance to speak with so many people. I, I think that must be the secret to to at least parts of media, right? Because it's it's about the the fact that you get to touch so many uh, people who are you know, who have interesting things to say, and you get to speak to them at their most you know about their absolutely most exciting uh, you know piece of news or, or or lessons. Yeah. So. And if you're good at it, you make a lot of friends as well. I'm sure you've made friends along the way. Uh, you know, you either make friends or enemies. I try to make mostly friends, right? <laughs> yes. There's no in-between. I find that kind of boring. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, Carl, uh, we are here to talk about, um, you know, some of these lessons that, that you've learned. And your, your company, or the company you lead now, Vipco, right? It's a right. Rhode Island-based manufacturer. Right. And you serve, uh, you know, thousands of, of customers, and you do have a, a complete product line. Um, explain to me how we would characterize your your business today. I mean, are you a technical manufacturer? Are you like what? What is the one thing that really characterizes your business today? Because I'm asking that question because manufacturing is changing and. Traditionally, you might have said, I guess, you know, yeah, you know, we produce ma machine parts or something or machines. But I'm just curious, someone like you who has such a focus, which we'll get into on, on people and excellence and other things, what is the first thing that you, you say to people when, well, when, when they ask, what, what kind of company well, is it that you have? So, so we make vibration. That's the outcome, right? Yeah. So you really think about it is we break friction for people, right? Mm -hmm. So what, friction has a lot of connotations to it that when people need our products, we're in the MRO business, which means maintenance, repair, and operation. So when there's a maintenance, repair, or operation needed and they call on the phone, they don't need an excuse. They need it now. So we're in the now business. We break friction. We're in the now business. And we're in a business that is a high mix low volume with 1,800 products and 360,000 customers globally is that we have to pivot every single day so fast, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And we deliver in 24 to 48 hours from raw material. So put that all together for a small manufacturer and pretty much what we do is Herculean every day. And we have a lot of tools and a lot of smart people to make it happen. You've run this business for a while. Are the challenges always the same? In other words, you know, customers always want stuff fast and they want it done, you know, or, or have things been changing over the years in terms of what, what, what are the hardest things to accomplish for you? Well, the, um, the one thing is that when we serve our customers is that we listen to our customers. They're the best people for new innovation and what our next, you know, uh, moonshot is and what i mean by moonshot what what should we be designing that people want right so i think that one of the challenges we have is just we have so many opportunities on the drawing board for new products and new things is just time getting time to be able to devote to all new launches launches take a while we want to speed that up and then the other thing, post-pandemic now, is supply chain is decimated. It is decimated. Just coming in in the morning, you know, with tank with uh, cargo ships in the Suez Canal, forget that. Just at home, 
we're finding people that a tornado hits them and rips the roof off of a key supplier and then decimates homes of its workers around that area. Just the small guys that don't have access to big purchasing things that are struggling for little pieces that we have to become part of our supply chain and listen to them what the critical roadblocks are. Um, I think this is going to go down in history that we're going to talk about it a lot. And it's way bigger than any of the other challenges that we've had before. Way bigger. You know, it's so interesting that people are actually starting to talk about it. I think, to be honest, in the first few months and, and you know, the first year even of the pandemic, there was so much positive talk about how everyone had responded so fast. Yeah. And it was almost not allowed to say that clearly the supply chain is an issue and has been disrupted and will be for a while. It was almost like the industry sort of ganged up and and had to tell, I don't know, the people they were serving or or maybe even the government that you know things were okay but it is starting to come out now that obviously supply chains have been disrupted well certainly by the pandemic but that the maybe the supply chains weren't so healthy to begin yeah. with how, how do you how do you explain that that's the case because supply chains is not new i th- i think that supply chains were headed for a crash and and the covid was just the pin that burst the bu- bubble more quickly And one of the things that we're going to talk a little bit, I think, about Tulip later on, right? And some of the things that they're doing is that companies were afraid to do lean process improvement and really take it, you know, at heart as a business strategy, right? Companies didn't understand JIT. JIT is just a tool in the strategy of lean thinking. Companies didn't want to see that, their own supply chain had stressors to it and do some kind of stress test to see, okay, where are we getting things from? If something happens, a bad outcome, what can happen? Um, companies don't know how to put things in sequen- sequence, sequential. The old adage, eat an elephant one bite at a time, that I think supply chains were very gluttonous and they ate the whole elephant. And now that there's not a whole elephant to eat there anymore, that they don't know how to get back on on the path by one step at a time. They don't know how to um, to speak authentically both to their suppliers and their customers because suppliers and customers might hold answers to how to help them and how they can offload some work or onload some work or find critical things. So this unity thing of being authentic in supply changes is mission critical, whether it's data, whether it's information or know-how, critical. You mentioned Tulip. What role do these digital tools uh, have in in facilitating kind of a next generation lean? And, you know, I guess we're jumping pretty fast into the into lean yeah, and yeah. all these concepts. But, you know, if we just take, take kind of digital tools and newer digital tools, especially that are somewhat more lightweight and can be kind of tweaked and put into nooks and crannies of the business as opposed to, you know, becoming these enormous deployments. What role can that play in, you know, in this very challenging environment we have right now? So one of the basic, basic mantras that I have here is what do I need to know? Who do I need to share with? Basic tool, right? Whether you're on the manufacturing floor, whether you're in sales and marketing, technical group or engineering, what do I need to know? Who do I need to share it with? So I don't care if you're in a 50,000 square foot facility or a 5 million square foot facility is that we need information. 
information has to flow quickly and at the same time as material, right? Because everybody's trying to source out material. Tulip basically gives us a continuum to watch material and information flow, and they flow at the same speed because if you get material before you get information, you're in trouble. If you get information and you don't have material, you're in trouble. So how do we unify that and shrink time, right? So organizations kind of did their own Band-Aid ways of doing this, and there's no way to overlap the speed of information. And that's why TULIP and some of the things that we've bootstrapped together to do our form of the thinking brain out there, you know, the predictive brain, right? Mm. Tell me more about your your way of, of, of doing the, the, the sort of the Toyota thinking. You, you said something in the very beginning about how you You've kind of made your own version of of the Toyota production methods. What 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 were the what were the things that you could adopt wholesale, and what were some of the things that you feel like you had to adopt? I mean, were there more cultural things to to do with you know how to treat your staff, or or were there other things also that you feel like needed to really be adapted for this production method to work? And well, I want, you know, I in want, Rhode Island, yeah, I want to clarify that we're very very strict on the tools that we use with our Toyota method, combination worksheets, um, tack time, and really understanding the basics of what we do out in our facility and hour by hour charts. But what we do is that since we're a mixed model manufacturer, we make a lot of different variety of small things that we have to use different methodologies in, in the Toyota production system, right? And we kind of call them our own. And the first thing that we started at our lean journey started 21 years ago was we worked on culture for four years, four years before we really introduced any tools or anything in our organization. We worked on the why, the purpose, who are we, who are our customers and what do we need to do as a team together? So we did a lot, a lot of training and learning on culture. And that's one of the pillars of the Toyota house is respect for people. Yes, yes, indeed, it is. How how did you do that in practice? So lean, and you know, and, and you know, even the whole sort of Toyota method and all these concepts that are out there. there there's books and there's training. I'm going to show, show you here my method. Yeah, look at all those books. Yep. Look so you first books. read them yourself, and and oh my and, god, yeah, I read books until my eyes were bleeding, and then the simple books, the simple books. So everybody got a copy of Dr. Seuss. And this is uh, one of my favorite ones, Oh, the Places Will Go. So, I mean, just this simple book, children's book, has some real profound statements in there about what an organization can do and what the people can do. And, you know, it's it's quite profound. And we let, read... Toyota books, we read Taiichi Ono books, we read Shigeo Shingo books, we played, we did a lot of playing. So if you want to build a culture, you got to play and have a lot of fun. So we played a lot. And your workers and employees and managers were all happy to go along with this and they, they understood that this was important? Well, for anybody, can you imagine your boss 
I was out in Seattle at the Pike's Place Fish Market, and we read the book Fish Tales. Have you ever read Fish Tales about the fishmongers out in Pike's Place? No. Five key points of their book. First key point of the book is choose your attitude. Second key point of the book is make somebody's day. Third one is be world class, right? Fourth key point is choose your attitude, right? And then um, fifth one is you can have fun. So we learned from the Pike's Place fishmongers. I was out there in Seattle. I sent the company back like a 20-pound salmon, and they had a fish toss in the middle of the factory. And I told everybody to wear like rain gear and get ready. And it was on video camera while I was in Seattle. They were here. And they had so much fun throwing that. One guy threw it up and it hit the fan and it got like su- sushied up into five million pieces. So imagine <laughs> going home and telling your family, hey, honey, how was your day at work? Oh, man, Carl did the craziest thing. A 20-pound salmon came. And then he wanted us to have a fish toss. We had a fish toss. And, you know, Bob threw that fish so high and it hit the fan and there was stuff all over. Can you imagine the excitement at home with your, your family and kids and whoever your significant others are? And they're going, you went to work today? Are you sure you didn't go to a pub or somewhere? You went to work and you were throwing a fish. Yeah. Well, it has a profound effect is that those five principles are governed around these poor fishmongers because if they had a sliced fish all day, wouldn't that be pretty boring? But they choose their attitude. They made somebody day they were world class and um they were present and they had fun you following with that yeah look and i i follow a lot because i think in in a lot of businesses you get so concerned about uh you know i don't know uh kpr prs or you're like you know you're supposed to do things with such quality and precision that all the fun gets sucked out of it and so the lesson for you was to work on the fun first, yeah. even more than, than on the quality uh, steps. And I think that another key thing with our lean journey is a lot of people start out with a lean journey and they track the dollars and cents. Never once have I said, you know, we re- need to reduce inventories or need to reduce something. We always looked at the process and the outcome was a reduction in dollars. And we celebrated, we never led with dollars. We always celebrated that afterwards. It was never the core premise. So you presented this, presumably, uh, and you've told me you worked with three different governors. So, you know, your messages and the way that you've been so successful with uh, Vipco, with this company, you have hosted tours explaining this. You've gone, I'm sure, on speaking gigs to explain what, what this is all about. What, what do people say when you present them with this because some of that stuff sounds like out of context it sort of sounds like that's that sounds like a lot of fun but is that really what you do as a business strategy it's part of our it's part of our growing becoming a learning organization yeah and when you play that's when you get the creative mind and if we come in here and we think that we have to be automatons and just produce and produce and produce, you never reach the pinnacle of breakthroughs on really big, hairy, audacious goals. You never meet, you never meet the breakthroughs of really tough things to do. So um, I think it's mission critical. And anybody can work anywhere today that they want. 
you want to work in an organization that can have fun and be creative and there are no mistakes, everything in our organization, there's, there's another mantra we have. It's never perfect. It's never finished. It's all about process. So if it's all about process, the third one, and it's never finished and it's never perfect, it means that each time we strive for bigger, better, faster, quality, quality and throughput are built in. But these are all sub mantras that we think about every day to meet our goals and to become world class. I mean, think about during the pandemic, we're running at 90, 95.6% on-time delivery post-pandemic and during the pandemic. We haven't missed a beat. And you know what? Behind the scenes, the waterline, we've had vendors just shut down, just leave. We've had tornadoes. We've had all kinds of things happen, but we have a group here that's creative as heck to figure it out, right? And during the pandemic, we've been able to ship all over the world because of our creativity and speed that we have. A lot to be said for that. And we've controlled our prices. This year, we held our pricing for our customers for almost 26 months prior to this year. And the year before that was three years because we reduced our cost each year to hold the same gross profit margin or gain gross profit margin in a rising cost or almost inflationary period like we're having now, right? Yeah. That's huge. A lot of people won't do that. They just want to keep a profit margin. Getting a profit margin is reducing waste out in the factory and getting everybody engaged in thinking and using tools like Tulip, or thinking like Tulip and working into it in the why and what problem is it solving. You can't just take technology and overlay it in a place and expect to make money. You have to take technology with purpose and what problems do we solve and keep solving problem after problem and overlaying and overlaying more and more technology. So explain that a little bit for me. Yes. Take Tulip or, or take some technology that you have been experimenting with and integrating over the last few years. Okay. How how did you think to introduce that technology and what were the steps you took when you... Because I think it's easy to think that, you know, okay, technology, superior technology, I've read about it, I understand we need to become more efficient, we're going to implement this stuff. But you're, you're saying you, you don't start there at all. We start with doing squeezing all the waste out of it prior to bringing in technology and really understanding the process. And what I mean about that is we'll do a value stream map of the whole process. We'll go and look at the process. We'll have a cross-functional team and we'll say, what can we do now without spending money? Because Taiichi Ono, one of the great leaders of Toyota, said, you have no money to spend. Fix it. Make it better. We need to increase speed. Right. So with that being said, we do the same thing because all kinds of new methods and thinking are born so quickly that can impl be implemented fast. Like our machine tools, we have a lot of turning machines for anybody that's listening that turn metal and things and bore metal. And we could have bought tools to measure our equipment before we set up the machine for hundreds of thousands of dollars to reduce time at the machine. Right. Yep. 
and we brought our whole machine shop crew team. When we go to a trade fair or we do anything, the whole company's involved in the thinking. Is my brain that smart? No, not at all. But a hundred and change people, those are a lot of smart brains. So once our team looked at that, they said, you know what? We can take a computer, we can do this, we can readjust the gauge, and $10,000 later, we have a tool that blows away anything that we could buy and to serve the purposes for what we needed. And we didn't bend into their system. We made the technology fit our system and the way that we think and the flow that we have. Hmm. You following with me? Yeah, I'm with you. So if that, when that translates into Tulip, then what are, what are some of the things that you think can be done with Tulip this way? If you, if you approach it from, from the point of view that you're not just picking Tulip and saying, it's going to fix all my problems, but you start with, with getting ready for, uh, you know, for strategic small changes using, using it, you know, strategically as opposed to just wholesale picking up some sort of yeah. solution. So one of the, one of the key things, and I'll challenge all listeners here today that are listening to the podcast, one second, that inventory accuracy runs any business, especially if you need to deliver in 24 to 48 hours. And you have finished goods inventory, you have work in process inventory, and you have raw inventory, right? And we're a medium-sized manufacturer. And you know what? It's always messed up. Always messed up. And then you have engineers that are doing certain things with people. You have people going to trade shows. You have all kinds of stuff going on, right? So inventory accuracy, that if we can have touch points like a tulip piece, if we can have touch points that people have to do with inside their workflow content so they don't have to say, oh, let me go press the button. Press the, oh, I come out there. They say, chief, I forgot to press the button. I'm like, the technology technology works with the way that we work. So the pieces that, you know, I've seen and what I've what, going up to visit Tulip are things that work with inside a workflow cycle at the computer. The technology is working the way that we work. Whether you have a light scanner that sees and they see this pen go across and they say, oh, went across and went to this station. It's finished, you know, and then maybe there's a thing that says, did you really finish that? Yep. Click. Let me just fix my, I don't know who's, I should have turned my ringer off. But, <laughs> but, the, uh, but technology that you have to do more work, technology is to take away the necessary non-value added activity that's critical for the operation of the organization. Non-value, Right necessary and critical to run the organization. So, you know, if we can watch the touch points of inventories, it goes from raw to work in process to finish and actually to ship. If we can see that and start seeing disconnects within the workflow cycle, then we know where to hone in on. And when we go out to the shop floor, the most critical thing is when you use technology is you're not attacking the person. You start attacking the person, that technology is dead in the water. You attack the process and say, we have a process failure here. How can we help you, right? You go out to the floor. How can we help you? We're seeing an anomaly on process failure. And they say, well, you know, Mary took my tools over here and the light on the scanner isn't working right. Well, you know, guys, tell me how to fix that. 
right? Or there could be something profound in just your internal process of the way that you think that your bills material aren't correct. And then you got to get a team and you got to praise everybody for those nuggets to make their lives easier. You know, one of the things that strikes me when I hear you speak is uh, I understand why people come to you and not just listen to you at a hotel speak about these things, but they would come to these VIPCO tours. I understand you've had some 9,000 visitors for the past eight years to see kind of lean implementation firsthand to see what you're doing. That makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, you can read about stuff in a book and, I'm, you know, and you've read a lot of books about lean methods. And, and, you know, indeed, you can actually pick up some stuff there that you can start to implement. But a lot of the ways that you speak about these things, it's almost like I'm getting a very, or I, I want to visualize it. And I want to, so I wanted to ask you about, you know, what we see, the people who at least see the video, uh, this is a podcast, but, you know, behind you, you have your factory and you have two windows there and you can see straight into it. You don't have an office that's like, you know, five miles, uh, you know, or, or, you know, six floors above the, the factory, you are at factory level. I can see the beams and the fluorescence right there. I see people walking around behind you. What is it? What is the magic inside of your factory? What makes it lean at the end of the day? And, and is it even possible to explain to my listeners without them walking in there? I think that, that our factory here, what you see behind me is I have a sliding window. Anybody can come up to that window, you know, if they have an issue or a problem. And yes, there's a hierarchy here of supervisors and managers and, and things like that. But the closeness of, of me being able to hear the factory, I can hear the factory noise out there. I know what's going on. I can watch. I'm doing a gemba, going to where the work is. My office is where the work is, and I can see it. To my left here is the whole production control team, and I can see their boards up there, their KPI boards. I can hear their meetings. On this side of me here is all our technical support and sales and marketing team. And I think that one of the lessons that I learned from Toyota and from Patton and from a lot of really good world leaders, Winston Churchill, and just different people that I admire is that if you're going to lead, you got to lead from where the action is and you got to be out front and you got to understand what the problems are. And my job is to break those problems down for people and to help them. My job isn't to just throw out orders. My job is to, to, to collaborate and mutually learn together because I don't know everything that goes on on the factory floor when there's an issue. Hmm. With being accessible, the information comes a lot more freely and, um, it's just part of my DNA. So the kinds of leadership that we are looking for in this day and age of Industry 4.0, what, what is that? Because, you know, the lean process that you started 21 years ago and that Toyota started even before that, right. it, it has a, a lot of steps to it. And we, we have talked about these processes that aren't just about, you know, uh, making every step, you know, measurable. It, it, it is also a very big cultural aspect. And then we've talked about the technology and how it has to be implemented. W what do you think is the new mindset that's needed? Or, or is there really just a, has there just been a steady, gradual adoption of, of these things? Is there something new with Industry 4? Or is this just another technology 
uh, cluster with a new name? I think that the new industry 4.0 is about is about leaders using technology to solve everyday problems and make it accessible at every level in the organization. It's not something that engineering or IT or production control do. It's what people are doing to take the mundaneness and the feedback loop of what do I need to know, who do I need to share it with, and shrinking time. Everything, everything with Toyota production system, they still have to build cars the same way. They still got to get a chassis and axles and motor and seats and God, body panels. All they did was shrink time of all those pieces. They're still doing the same number of steps, but they figured out that when they turn around, there's a seat there. And the seat was supposed to be there within, you know, 45 seconds because that's the tack time that the customer is pulling the car and they put it in the car and they go, right? And I think that all organizations that if they start understanding their shrinking time, there's no magic clock to make more time, that get technology and get people accustomed to it and let them be participative in it and to be super humble. I mean, just look at all the social things that are going on outside. Business is just an extension of the, the state, the country, the world that you live in, that they're really getting forced into the business world as well. You know, treating people with respect, being humble, and giving people purpose every day, right? And giving them opportunities to grow. Well, if you if you can do it well inside the four walls of your factory, now it's you're responsible for your town that you live in. And then if you can help translate that in the town, then it's in the county. If you can do it in the county, then it's in the state. And that's why I'm really charging to help our state of Rhode Island. And we're the smallest state in the country, so it's a little bit easier. But if we do that, then a, then a lot more good things are outcomes. Well, you say... You say it's easier because it's the smallest state in the country. A lot of people would say it's the opposite. It's a small state, so you don't have the resources to implement these big changes. It's it's a very optimistic take on on something that a lot of people see more black and white, or I guess, you know, the, the rhetoric has... I mean, I guess it's still surprising to me that manufacturing... Um, to many people, still has a, a bit of a slant of a rhetoric of saying, you know, oh, it's difficult, it's hard, it'll never get better. But then you you meet people like you, you meet uh, optimists, you know, around Industry Four, or, or or indeed you just look around at all of the changes that are that are happening in the industry. There's there's a lot of good good things happening, but I guess it's intermixed with with a lot of challenging realities uh, as well. You know, we've talked about uh, supply chain read, and other things. Yeah, I'm going to read you a thing here that's so profound, so profound. Because think about India now, the trouble India is in with COVID are just coming out of the other side. So the group that I belong to, YPO, is a, is a global group, and Pradeep is the president and founder of Borisol Limited and Borisol. Uh, renewables in India. This is what he posted. And this post came from April 30th when, when India was really in perils. And, and you really got to listen to this because this is kind of leaders that we should be. 
Today, my organization, Borisol Limited and Borisol Renewables Limited, announced that the family members of any employee losing life to COVID-19 will continue to receive their salary for the next two years, in addition to all the other benefits they are entitled to. And the company will also take care of the education of children until their graduation. While I pray that nobody actually needs to avail to this benefit and everybody stays safe and healthy, I would like to thank my organization to conceive and implement such a reassuring measure through these tough times. We are proud to be part of the Boris Saul family. And I think that Pradeep has maybe five, 6,000 workers. This is in a small organization, if, if people Google them. And to hear a president lay down the gauntlet like that to support his people, that's what I'm talking about, that then manufacturing and people that employ employees, the world will change dramatically. And if we want to have time and space to do these kind of things, I don't need to go out and ask Joe and Mary, how many pieces did you do today? Was a machine running? That's why we need the technology to overlay, to answer these, these silly little things that are the heartbeat of our organization. So we can think bigger and more globally on how to transform people and transform a culture. I'm, I'm proud of the stuff we've done. And the only reason I get to do it is because my people support me to do it and make me proud to go out and share this, the things that we're doing. We challenge ourselves every day. What are some other things you're excited about? You're clearly, you're seeing the silver lining to, to even to COVID. That's, that, that's really uh, praiseworthy, I think. What are some of the things you are excited about, me, medium term, long term, next decade? What's, what, what, what's happening in, in your space? I think that um, I think that you know reshoring, and not just for the United States, reshoring for Europe, reshoring for Central America, reshoring for wherever they are, is that people have to understand their critical paths of supply chain, and they're understanding value, and they're understanding partnerships a little bit deeper. Especially, we're just at the beginning. I hate to tell you, I think that we're just at the beginning of supply chain demise. We're just seeing the, the very beginning of it because to reprime this pump is going to be a long time. We have a lot of young people. I teach at the University of Rhode Island as well, seniors in, in Lean Six Sigma supply chain. And I think that the young people that we have coming out, that people have to really be ready to help mentor, embrace, and let them be curious about their organization's and do things. Will they stay at the organizations forever? No, but I think that they can platform and move your organization faster and faster and faster. You know, if you understand how to embrace this, you're not going to get, I don't think employees for 30 and 40 years, you're going to get cohorts of groups at two to five year increments. And you really better know how to challenge them to grow and how to leave legacy for new cohorts coming in that they can platform and grow off of. Maybe then the last question on my end is the training challenge in this new environment, because it, historically, right, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, manufacturing was a lifetime type employment proposition. You're like, unless the business, you know, obviously there are layoff cycles and stuff, but the whole, the idea at least was, you know, you, you, you work in a factory and that's where you work. Now you're saying two to five year increments. So as like two kind of outliers of like lifetime employment 
which certainly is the baseline of the Toyota model, right? Yes. Uh, and in Japan generally. And then now you're talking about two to five year increments. How? What does that? What does that do? I mean, cert- to specifically to training, for example. I mean, you 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 can't train people over a lifetime if you're expecting them to only be productive for two to five years. Well, I'm not saying your whole workforce is going to be a Pareto and eighty twenty. That twenty percent. You, you, you really need 20% to help share tribal knowledge and understand the essence. And you really have to have a good strategy in the organization. And again, back to Tulip, back to the technology we're imploring is take the mundaneness out of this, put the creativity into how, how to move faster, bigger, higher, and, 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 and technology needs to work hand in hand with the people that you employ because most of the training in organizations is training in like the stupidest things. Hey, you come over and you file this stuff over here. Well, why do I still have paper? Any young person goes, what do you guys still have paper for? Why do you file it? Why can't we have a live database? I can Google search keywords and it just pops up. Hey, you know, we, uh, take these machine drills and we do X, Y, Z. Well, why do we even have to change out the tools? Why can't we have predictive analytics that the machine tells me when to change this? So I'm, I'm working collaboration with technology. That would yeah. be unbelievable. I hear you. I think some of those things are becoming easier and easier, but they're certainly not implemented today. And, and in, the craziest thing is my kids turned me on to Instagram and I knew Instagram was around for a long time. Finally, I said my two boys, well, three boys have become Instagram stars on their on their car builds. If you saw my office, you'd see all the cars and trucks here. So I said, all right, let me get on Instagram. Instagram is the coolest place to shop because they're, artists, they're, they're watching my preferences so cool, even better than Amazon, even better than Amazon. So their girlfriends come over to the house and I like share, did you see these cool shoes or this cool shirt or this jack? Check out this thing you can grill with. And, and Instagram is like so easy. I don't even have to go and do a Google browse. I'm like seeing this cool stuff and I'm like, this is unbelievable. And they're just watching my preferences of who I like, what I like to buy. They're watching what I shop now. And they're saying, well, if Carl likes this, it's unbelievable. And I saw this technology with YPO, Young Presidents Organization in Manhattan. I remember seeing this and it was probably 20 years ago and we're on, somewhere in downtown Manhattan at a, at a clothing store and the guy was walking around with a, a laptop trying to show us on projector screens how people were going to shop and how, how you could zoom in on stuff and, and, and they'd know exactly what you wanted. And I sat there, I said, that is the coolest thing, but how the hell are they going to get the technology to keep up with now? I need now. You show me shopping now. And I think they actually watch the weather in New England. So they tell me when I need an umbrella and when I need swimming trunks. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a new world out there, but uh, it gets surprisingly easier to, to follow it, right? Because these algorithms help us along. The, the logarithms are unbelievable. And we're involved with some other people that since we're such a cool organization to play here on our factory floor, we have a lot of people that love beta testing here. And the beta testing is that they get authentic feedback from our workers, from our production team, from our engineers, and we can show them where we get stuck and we can tell them why we're getting stuck, where most organizations will get something and 
they'll call in a software person from that company and they'll say, all right, well, it's supposed to work this way. Well, they don't know that Bob might be colorblind and he's saying, where the hell's the, where the hell's the green, green button? You keep telling me to press it. I see a blue button on there because they see a different color, but you, you get what I mean. And, and yeah. implant our developers for our software because we have to bridge our manufacturing software to our contact management software. And our developer sits at the workstation when he develops things for people and watches. And then he'll go back and write some code. But when he's ready to release it, he sits and he'll sit there for days watching them and they'll get dialogue back and forth. This is working. This isn't working. Then he'll do a global launch to the whole organization. And the speed that we can develop stuff is amazing. Because he's at the source where his customer is, serving the customer. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, Carl, this has been a, a great discussion. I feel like um, my, the next step for me is obviously to come and take a look at, uh, well, uh, at your shop floor. Yeah, I but, see all your um, guitars there, so you have to bring a guitar. I'll bring a guitar. We'll do some yep. playing there. And uh, yep. you'll throw a fish in the air and we'll have, some, have a good time. Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. All right, Carl. This was uh, wonderful. Thanks, thanks a lot for for this uh, first iteration of, of of sharing your knowledge. This was fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You have just listened to episode 49 of the Augmented Podcast with host Ronana Unheim. The topic was lean manufacturing in the USA. Our guest was Carl Wardenstein, CEO of Vipco. In this conversation, we talked about how to create a company culture that fosters lean manufacturing practices. My takeaway is that lean manufacturing is not just a process you can implement for efficiency. It is a culture you need to build for impact on the whole organization and the people in it. Quality follows from inspired, encouraged, and empowered workers who act on ideas and provide exceptional customer experiences. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 43, Digitized Supply Chain, episode 3, Reimagine Training, or episode 2, How to Train Augmented Workers. Augmented, industrial conversations that matter.